You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag and FanSided. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. And you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It is Wednesday. A lot to talk about. We'll have one more show later in the week. And the first thing that we have to discuss is on Tuesday, the Chicago Bears declined their option on former Packers guard Josh Sitton. And this became a point of contention among Packer fans. Do they want him back? Now, it could be a moot point because the Packers may be interested in Sitton and he may not be interested in coming back. He he did not leave on good terms. He was pretty upset with the way everything planned out. He was pretty upset with the way that things ended in Green Bay and and said some things to his teammates about it. But that doesn't mean he's necessarily opposed to coming back. He's only 31, will turn 32 this offseason. And here's why I think it makes sense if you're the Packers. When they cut him, they had Lane Taylor and they had Jari Evans signed. They didn't know if Lane Taylor was going to be good. He turned out to be pretty solid. He can probably play right guard. Injuries forced the Packers to have to play Lucas Patrick, to play Justin McCray. They could slide Kyle Murphy to guard, which is where a lot of people thought he should have been playing anyway. If Josh Sitton, who one of the reasons the Packers moved on was both his price and his injury history, struggled with injuries again in Chicago, but when he was on the field was Again, very good. The Packers know now they can afford those injuries. And unless they think they're going to do something like draft Quentin Nelson or something like that, there's no reason not to try and win the Super Bowl with Josh Sitton next year. He makes you better next year. Even if they want to draft someone who they think is going to be really good. Or... They think that Justin McCray can be really good. How much of, it, of that development are you really stunting by bringing in Sitton? He makes your team better right now, today, this year. And he's only 32. A two-year deal, a two-year deal with a team option, something like that. Makes a ton of sense. You know you can weather the injury storms with him because you know your backups can play. But that's not a reason to say we'd rather play with the inferior player. You shouldn't want that. You shouldn't want to say, well, he left, he's older, he's injury prone. We're going to take this objectively not as good player instead. That doesn't make any sense. Josh Sitton in 2017, that version of Josh Sitton, even if you only get 10 or 12 or 13, 14 games, that version of Josh Sitton is better than any interior offensive line on Green Bay will be next year. That's just a point of fact. Lane Taylor would have to take a pretty significant step forward. We're pretty sure we know what Corey Lindsley is at this point. He's a solid player. 
None of them are as good as Josh Sitton could be next year. This is not Jari Evans was 34 last year. He was an aging veteran. That is what Josh Sitton is, who's younger, knows this offense, knows this team. Now, we don't know if he'd be interested in coming back. So that's the part of this that that cannot be calculated from our standpoint. We don't know what the cost would be. Now, I imagine he's not going to get $8 million. Would he come back? $4 or $5 million? Something like that? That makes sense. That makes this team better. The pack it's so it's so funny to me. The Packer fans on Twitter and and that call into radio shows and go on message boards, they killed Ted Thompson. Get get go sign someone. Make this team better. And then when the Packers now have an opportunity to sign someone, a guy that we know can play at an all-pro level, maybe not anymore, but has been and played at a high level last year. When the Packers would have a chance to bring him in, now the fans are suddenly behind the Ted Thompson model. No, no, don't sign him. We're going to go with this backup player. We have no idea if they can be a good player for 16 games. Here's the other thing. Yes, the Packers have depth right now as it stands. Signing Josh Sitton means they have a starting caliber player and they don't have to elevate one of the backups. This has a trickle-down effect. If you elevate Justin McCray... Now, the only guy that you know in a pinch can play for you is Lucas Patrick. And you don't know if he can, number one, stay healthy. Couldn't last year. And two, he, he played really in, in the Bears game. But beyond that, we don't know what the kind of player he is going to be over, let's say, he has to start three, four, five games. What does that look like? Maybe the Packers can move Jason Spriggs back to tackle where he can be a swing tackle. He can play guard or tackle. Elevating one of the backups means losing key depth. That was depth they needed last year. So you could say, okay, well, I'm comfortable. Lucas Patrick, Justin McCray, and then draft someone. Okay, that's nice. That is objectively a worse straight-up talent situation than just signing Josh Sitton. You can still do all that. You can still draft the guys. They, they should draft an offensive lineman in the first four picks. But that doesn't mean you just say, okay, well, I'm out on Josh Sitton. Why? Whether or not he's going to sign is not relevant right now. We're just talking about, is it a good idea for the Packers to try? Should they call him? Yes, 100%, absolutely yes, they should call him. Would you come back to Green Bay? If he says no, no harm, no foul. If he says yes, then we talk about price. At $8 million a year? Mm, that's aggressive. What am I What am I spending that money on otherwise? If he's the only guy you sign, then yeah, $8 million. If you're not going to sign anybody else, if the money's not going to waste, this has always been my issue with the Ted Thompson model. You say, okay, I'm not interested in paying player X above Y price. Okay, what do you do with that money? What is the opportunity cost of signing that player? What is the opportunity cost of taking a risk on a free agent? What could that money be used to pay for? And if the answer is nothing, which is usually the answer, and yeah, Ted Thompson has has used that money to re-up players and to create a little bit more space to sign or re-sign a player to give Aaron Rodgers a big deal, 
to re-sign Jordy Nelson or Mike Daniels or whatever it is. But the Packers are regularly well below the cap. So the argument against signing a player at a certain at a certain price has to be weighed against what that meant what that money would or could be spent on otherwise. And not just could, because there's always money that could be spent. You can spend that money on anything. You could go give a bad player a big deal. That's that's always within your right. Doesn't make it a smart idea, but that is certainly your right to do. But who would that money be spent on? Are there other viable, not just options, but preferences? If they're not going to spend the money, spend it on Sitton. But if they are going to spend that money, if they're going to go sign Marquise Lee, and they're going to go talk to Tremaine Johnson and Malcolm Butler and Ross Cockrell and some of the free agent corners that are out on the market, and there's going to be more, then no. No, you don't want to spend a bunch of money on Josh Sitton. If you can get him, if you can get him at the minimum or something close, I don't think he's going to take that. I think there's going to be more teams interested. The Texans are going to be interested. A team like Indianapolis that has a boatload of money could be interested. I mean, there's plenty of teams out there that have money to spend that could be interested in signing him. So he's not going to come and play for charity. The Packers should call. That's all I've said. That's all I've argued. They should call. And they should see what it would take. And if he's going to say yes, then figure out what the money is. And if there's going to be a bunch of money that he wants and you want to spend that money elsewhere, okay, pass. I'm fine with Justin McRae or if they want to draft someone. I I mentioned this earlier um, a week or two ago. Someone suggested the Packers draft Isaiah Wynn, who's a guard from, from Georgia, played some tackle at Georgia. At 14, I said, fine. The Packers need to add offensive lineman talent. They do. Trying to improve this offensive line should not be seen as a negative. And offensive linemen in the first round have significant value. I know Ted Thompson doesn't have a great track record with some of those high picks. I know the Derek Sherrod thing scares some people. But I think he knocked the Brian Bulaga pick out of the park. He knows offensive linemen. He's not making the decision anymore. Brian Gudekinst is. But he has a pretty good eye when it comes to offensive linemen. Brian Bulaga, David Bakhtiari, Josh Sitton, TJ Lang, Corey Lindsley, JC Treader, Lane Taylor. The track record is there. So you can trust him to deal with these things. How is Brian Gudekins going to deal with it? We don't know. But if he's going to be aggressive in free agency, and we think he's probably going to be at least more aggressive than Ted Thompson, obviously, low bar, then this is a good place to start. Before we move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge giveaway. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That gets you access to player grades, snap counts, position ranks, fantasy projections. There is a wealth of draft content that that they put up. There's going to be a lot more content coming as we go through this draft process. So get on board, get behind the paywall for free. Just put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of the podcast on iTunes. I want to talk about the draft for a second. I've seen a lot of people and heard from a lot of people suggest the Packers should trade up. Let's just game this out. I've mentioned this on Twitter. There are 13 picks between 1 and 14, obviously. Simple math, right? If you look at the players who are likely to be taken there, 
there's a there's a pretty solid list we know seven or eight within a relative measure of certainty. So that means the Packers, we don't know how many quarterbacks are going to go. We think at least three, could be four. We think Quentin Nelson's going to go. Minka Fitzpatrick, Saquon Barkley. We're already to seven players. Calvin Ridley, that's eight. There's only six. There's only six players in the interim there, and and we haven't even, you know, we haven't even gotten to the Denzel Ward, Josh Jackson, Derwin James, Roquan Smith. If another quarterback sneaks in there, all of a sudden they're pushing down players. The reason I bring all of this up is at 14, who is the guy that you're going to trade up to get? That is so much better than everyone else. Because the assets you need to give up to get from 14 to say 8. Who can you get there? If, you, if you're if you in love with Minka Fitzpatrick. And you think he is going to change your defense. To get from 14 to say 4 or 5. Where you probably need to get to. That's going to cost you serious picks. You're probably going to have to give up a, a future first to get up there. Or some cash of other picks. The players at the top are not worth going up to get because the Packers can get someone very good at 14. A blue chip player. They could get a you know top corner in the draft type player, top edge rusher in the draft type player, top offensive tackle in the draft type player. A blue chip player. And I went through and and I have I have watched about 60 or 70 guys at this point. Most of the consensus top 50 players I've watched. And I only see 19 guys that I would give first round grades to. But I have another 13 guys that are borderline. Late first, early second type players. So if one of those first round guys starts falling. Let's say an Isaiah Wynn. Who by the way, at 14 happy with. That's good value. I think he's the 19th best player in this draft. It wouldn't be a great pick, but it would be fine. Let's say all of a sudden the Packers are sitting there and it's 25, 26, 27. And a player like that is on the board who can come in and start right away day one for you. He can play tackle in a pinch and he can he can be on your offensive line for the next eight to 10 years. Or someone like Harold Landry for whatever reason, is sitting there mid-20s. What is it going to take to get back into the first round? This is something Ted Thompson has done in the past. Remember the Clay Matthews draft? They took B.J. Raji at 9 and then traded back into the first to get Clay Matthews. You see a guy with a, with a legit, solid first-round grade dropping. You go up and you get him. I, I, I get that. Now, the Packers have 45. They have 76 overall, and they're going to have a compensatory third in all likelihood, which you can now trade. So if they just packaged 45 and 76 by the draft value chart that most teams go by in some form or fashion, that gets them back into the first round to 28 or thereabouts. Who can you get there that's worth it? Now, if they throw in their fourth, they can get into, so they give up the, basically, so they'll give up second, third, and their fourth. They could get into that low 20s. If they get up, if they get up their second, if they give up their second and both thirds, the third and the compensatory, 
They could get into 20, 21. I don't think that part of it is worth it. I don't think it makes sense to trade up back into the first round. And the reason is what I said. There's only 19 guys with legit first round grades, but there's another 13 with borderline grades. And I haven't watched everybody. So there could there's there there can and likely will be some more guys that sneak into both of those mixes. So the Packers pick at 45, right? Now, if, if I'm as I look at this list, there are gonna be guys who are gonna go above where I think they should. The Baker Mayfields, the Lamar Jacksons, Tavin Bryan, Maurice Hurst, that are gonna go ahead of guys that I think are borderline first round picks. The NFL only has to screw up about 10 of those picks. And, and that's, I mean, that's easy. Darius Geist is going to go too high. Josh Allen is going to go too high. Arden Key is going to go too high. Leighton Vander Esch, the linebacker from Boise State, he's going to go too high. Ronnie Harrison, the safety from Alabama, he's going to go too high. These names don't have to mean anything to you right now. But the point is, the Packers can wait at 45 and the likelihood that someone good will fall. They don't have to fall all the way to 45. If they just fall into the second round, it wouldn't take that much ammunition to get from 45 to, say, 40 or to 36, somewhere at the top of the second, to get one of these borderline first-round players. I think one of the reasons why that could make some sense, why you might trade third round picks or fourth round picks, is the talent falls off pretty precipitously after the top 50. Now that's true in a lot of drafts, but this one in particular, the impact players are all in the top 50. And after that, it's a lot of niche players, a lot of role players, a lot of position-specific players, scheme-specific players. So if that's true, if there are is this precipitous drop-off, then it makes sense to give up those extra picks in those ranges where you're not going to get impact players, trade them to get another impact player. But I think you stay put at 14. If someone starts to fall at 45 into the second round that you had a first-round grade or a borderline first grade on, then you can go up and get them. And then even better... Even better is here are two-thirds and whatever else it takes to get back into the second round to get one of these last impact players. As this, as this talent pool drains, as we get into pick 58, 59, 60, 65, 66, can you get back into that range to get one of the last few true impact players and would you give up multiple again two third round picks with the compensatory in all likelihood a fourth probably an extra fifth package those picks and move up I think you stay at 14 I think you stay at 45 and then anything after that you use to package together and move up to get another impact player come out of this draft with three starting caliber players high-impact players, potentially top 60 talents, and you've set your team up in the long-term and the short-term. All right, we'll have a show on Friday and back uh, the following week with, with three more shows. 
combine's gonna start before you know it. I'm, I'm trying to get some drafts, experts, writers, people who follow this even closer than I do on the show in the next few weeks to try and really get this prep as we as we ramp up toward the combine and beyond. If I can't get, I'm, I'm working on getting a guest for Friday. If I can't get the person that I want, then we'll do a positional review. That'll be on Friday. A lot more to come. Make sure you have your eyes on Acme Packing Company, on Fansided, on FanRag NFL, on my Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski, the podcast Twitter at Locked On Packers, and always stay Locked On Packers.